Francis de Sales once said, be who you are and be that well. Welcome to the 85th episode of St. Dymphna's Playbook, the SDP, if you want to be cool, a production of the Grexley Podcast Network. My name is Tommy. I'm a cradle Catholic, a marriage and family therapist, a husband and father of five boys, four on earth and one in heaven. I love you, Luke. And I'm here to fill the void of Catholic conversations about mental health because I want all of us to remember that God wants to make a saint out of you and me and not an idealized version of ourselves that doesn't currently exist. I mean the you and me we are right now, messy, depressed, stressed, hopeless. He loves us as we are. We like to kick it off around here with a quick refresh of our notifications. It's time for St. Dymphna's Mentions. Is there a link between social media and depression? As you can guess, social media companies say the evidence is inconclusive, but there's a growing number of researchers who disagree and want a closer look at the data. NPR has more. Representative Kathy McMorris-Rogers' biggest fear as a parent isn't gun violence or drunk driving or anything related to the pandemic. It's social media. And specifically, the new sense of brokenness she hears about in children in her district and nationwide. Teen depression and suicide rates have been rising for over a decade, and she sees social apps as a major reason. At a hearing this March on Capitol Hill, the Republican congresswoman from Washington confronted Facebook CEO Mark Zuckerberg and Twitter CEO Jack Dorsey with a list of statistics. From 2011 to 2018, rates of teen depression increased by more than 60%. And from 2009 to 2015, emergency room admission for self-harm among 10 to 14-year-old girls tripled. But when she pointed a question specifically to Zuckerberg about whether he acknowledged a connection between children's declining mental health and social media platforms, he demurred. I don't think that the research is conclusive on that, replied Zuckerberg. It's a position that he and his company, which is working on expanding its offerings to even younger children, have held for years, but mental health researchers disagree. They describe an increasingly clear correlation between poor mental health outcomes and social media use, and they worry that Facebook, which also owns Instagram and WhatsApp, in particular may be muddying the waters on that connection to protect its public image. The correlational evidence showing that there is a link between social media Media use and depression is pretty definitive at this point, said Jean Twenge, a psychology professor at San Diego State University. The largest and most well-conducted studies that we have all show that teens who spend more time on social media are more likely to be depressed or unhappy. I think most of us have found that our mood tends to trend upward when we spend more time away from social media. So it's another case of profits over people. When we see the various social media companies downplaying this feeling we all recognize and that the data seems to back up the feeling that we all have. We should make it a priority to ensure that we're modeling good behavior for our kids around screen time, especially as these companies work hard to get younger and younger children involved and really show our children how powerful personal connections with people in real life can be, how much our brains and bodies appreciate a walk in nature and time spent outside, and how all of our favorite memories when we look back on a life well lived will be memories of time spent away from our screens. So each episode, I'm going to introduce you to a saint who can help us along our journey with mental health and wellness as Catholics. It's called Friend Request, and today I'm going to introduce you to St. Rose Venerini.
1656, Rose was the daughter of a doctor and had a dramatic turn in her life after the death of her fiancé. She felt called to and entered the convent, but soon had to leave in order to go back home and take care of her newly widowed mother. While away from the convent and at home, Rose invited the other women in her neighborhood to come over to her home to pray the rosary together. Shortly after this, she connected to a Jesuit priest for spiritual direction and became convinced that she was called to be a teacher rather than a contemplative nun. She ended up starting her own free school for girls in 1685, and it was a hit. Franciscan Media adds a bit more about what happened next. Soon, the local cardinal invited her to oversee the training of teachers and the administration of schools in his diocese. As Rose's reputation grew, she was called upon to organize schools in many parts of Italy, including Rome. Her disposition was right for the task as well, for Rose often met considerable opposition but was never deterred. She died in 1728, and there were a handful of miracles attributed to her at this time, and the group of women she invited to the house to pray the rosary with her ended up becoming a religious congregation the Venerini sisters. It's so powerful to know that we have friends in heaven who have experienced such intense loss, such intense grief, and still manage to allow the grace of God to pour into their hearts and lead them to a life well lived. It truly gives us hope in our darkest moments. We like to close out this part of the podcast with a prayer. O God, who raised up St. Rose in your church to show others the way of salvation, grant us by her example so to follow Christ, the Master, that we may come with our neighbor into your presence. Through our Lord Jesus Christ, your Son, who lives and reigns with you in the unity of the Holy Spirit, one God, forever and ever. Amen. And now you can't do therapy over Twitter, but I'm happy to take your tweets and help you explore a bit in the hopes of finding a light in the darkness. It's time for Twitter therapy. M gets us started. I am a Catholic dealing with anxiety and depression, and I've been recently dealing with a series of conversations with my agnostic best friend about difficult church teachings, mostly about gay marriage. I still want to remain friends with her despite our differences, but she does not hesitate to remind me that my beliefs on this issue drastically affected our relationship, and she keeps scheduling conversations with me where I essentially reiterate my beliefs, during which I feel incredibly anxious and even get nauseous. After these conversations, even though I defended the church to the best of my ability, I slip into a depressive state which is really hard to manage. I feel like I cannot keep talking about this issue and I keep thinking each conversation will be the one that finally comes to a resolution. It's making me unsure if I can continue this friendship constantly having to be on and defending the church's teaching. I also feel such guilt for handling the situation with such a fearful attitude and at times I feel like I want to give up on the friendship even though we've been friends for over 10 years. If I stay friends with her, how can I better overcome my anxiety over discussions of difficult church teachings. Let's start by joining together in prayer for M that the Blessed Virgin Mary may intercede for peace, consolation, understanding, and healthy friendships that promote good mental health. Hail Mary, full of grace, the Lord is with thee. Blessed art thou among women, and blessed is the fruit of thy womb, Jesus. Holy Mary, Mother of God, pray for us sinners now and at the hour of our death. Amen. 
I think it's so important to remember that we should never feel like we have to defend the church to the point of it hurting our own mental health. Of course, it's a good thing to share the reasons behind church teaching to those who are interested. But as we see in social media so often, as you and as you're seeing in real life, our defense of the faith can often take quite a toll on us, especially when those asking questions have already made up their mind. And so at some point, when we feel like the conversation starting to hurt our emotional well-being, we have to fold up shop and be willing to let it be. I would hope a friend that you've known for that long would be able to accept, hey, look, I understand we have a difference in our thoughts on this topic, but whenever we discuss it, it leaves me feeling upset. And could we maybe just let it rest for a while? Any good friend should care more about our mental health than the arguments and conversations they want to have, right? And to your last question, I found the best way for me to overcome my anxiety around explaining church teaching is to rely on someone else to do it. Thanks to the internet, there are plenty of trustworthy resources out there to point our friends to, and I found a lot of peace in saying, you know, I'm not really great at explaining this, but I can send you a link to somewhere that does a really great job. It helped me understand it, and maybe it can help you too. We'll be praying for you, Em. Anonymous is up next. I've been struggling with severe procrastination. I also have anxiety, which makes it worse by worrying that I'm not getting work done. And depression adds to it by hating myself for letting my expectations and God down. Is there a spiritual approach I can take to get rid of my procrastination or getting back up after procrastination such that I don't engage in self-destructive thoughts and behavior and stress as self-punishment? Let's start by praying for Anonymous, everyone who experiences severe procrastination, and all of us who beat ourselves up again and again, that we may experience peace and an ability to forgive ourselves as God forgives us. Remember, O most gracious Virgin Mary, that never was it known that anyone who fled to thy protection, implored thy help, or sought thine intercession was left unaided. Inspired by this confidence, I fly unto thee, O Virgin of virgins, my mother. To thee do I come, before thee I stand, sinful and sorrowful. O Mother of the Word incarnate, despise not my petitions, but in thy mercy hear and answer me. Amen. Procrastination has so easily become a joke in our culture. People reference it all the time. But experiencing anxiety and depression because of procrastination is a whole different experience and deserves to be taken quite seriously. Because of the guilt and shame that you mentioned, I want to start here by saying clearly, we need to cut ourselves some slack. Yes, I know that it feels awful when we realize we're putting something off. We can start to have panic and then shame and depression because of our experience, but we have to take a moment to realize that this isn't something we're consciously choosing. If we could simply choose to get on top of our list of tasks to do it and stay on top of it, we would because we know it would leave us feeling accomplished and positive and not getting on top of it leaves us feeling crappy. So we have to acknowledge that at the present moment, this may be a little beyond our control and look to ways we can cope with our situation to A, create some routines that might help us and B, find some healthy coping skills to deal with the fallout when we're not able to stay within those routines. The blog at goodtherapy.org has some more helpful ideas worth exploring. All people procrastinate from time to time. The ability to temporarily distract oneself from stress and unpleasant tasks could even be an important coping mechanism in a high-stress society. While it may come with benefits, procrastination can also limit a person's productivity. Some people spend so much time procrastinating that they're unable to complete important daily tasks. They may have a strong desire to stop procrastinating, but feel they cannot do so. Procrastination itself is not a mental health diagnosis. It can, however, be a characteristic feature of some mental health issues. 
People with ADHD often have extreme difficulties with time management and organization and tend to procrastinate more often than other people do. When ADHD co-occurs with bipolar disorder, this may be particularly likely. One common effect of depression is low self-esteem, which has been linked to procrastination. Individuals who doubt their ability to satisfactorily complete a task may be more likely to avoid or delay starting on it. And those who experience anxiety may tend to become preoccupied by a fear of failure. Lack of confidence in one's ability to complete a task can lead to procrastination in order to avoid failure in the short term. People may procrastinate when stressed or overwhelmed in the hopes that their future self will be better equipped to tackle a certain task. For example, people who have high-stress jobs may often turn to procrastination as a coping strategy. Long-term procrastination can lead to chronic stress, difficulty with school and work, and trouble in relationships. People who procrastinate may end up working late or avoiding time with family or friends to make up for lost time. It's often apparent to procrastinators that their behavior is self-defeating, but overcoming procrastination isn't always as easy as, quote, just doing it. It may be necessary to dig deep and check on emotional wellness before effectively giving procrastination the boot. Some of the most effective strategies for avoiding and overcoming procrastination may include address what's triggering the procrastination. Certain traits, such as lack of structure, ambiguity, absence of personal meaning, and difficulty may characterize tasks that are more likely to cause procrastination. Dealing with the trigger, for example, finding a way to make the task more fun if the trigger is boredom, could help someone start a task they've been procrastinating. Find accountability. Ask a friend, partner, or loved one to help you stay on track with important tasks. Forgive and trust yourself. Some research shows that people who forgive themselves for procrastinating in the past had lower chances of procrastinating in the future. Start small. While getting started can be the most difficult part of a task, finding a small way to start on a task that's been put off can reduce the chances that you'll continue to procrastinate on it. Work with a therapist or a counselor. If there's a chance a mood issue or mental health concern could be contributing to chronic procrastination, working with a mental health professional could be a key step to overcoming procrastination. If procrastination occurs so frequently that it negatively interferes with daily functioning, therapy can help a person identify why and when they procrastinate, replace self-defeating thoughts with more productive thoughts, and learn new behavioral strategies to cope with stress. Hang in there and know that we're praying for you. Liz brings us home. I'd be interested in your take on healing and deliverance prayer that's popular in certain Catholic circles, especially charismatic ones. I can see a benefit bringing wounds to prayer, not compartmentalizing spirituality from emotional and mental health, etc., but also see dangers easily conflating what's best treated by a mental health professional with what a lay person can or should do with healing prayer, ascribing wounds and negative tendencies to spiritual warfare over just plain old mental health, basically over-spiritualizing things to the point of imbalance and sometimes even the dangerous territory of spiritual abuse. Thank you for sending this one in, Liz, and let's start by praying for everyone experiencing mental health symptoms who look to healing through prayer, that God may hear and answer their prayers while at the same time helping them to be open to seeing that the answer to their prayers may come in the form of a mental health professional sent to walk alongside them. Hail, Holy Queen, Mother of Mercy, our life, our sweetness, and our hope. To thee do we cry, poor banished children of Eve. To thee do we send up our sighs, mourning and weeping in this valley of tears. Turn then, most gracious advocate, thine eyes of mercy toward us. And after this, our exile, show unto us the blessed fruit of thy womb, Jesus. O clement, O loving, O sweet Virgin Mary, 
Pray for us, O Holy Mother of God, that we may be made worthy of the promises of Christ. I'm really grateful that you sent in this question, Liz. I think it's a really important issue for Catholics and all people of faith to sort out. And I try to work hard to present the both and approach here on this very podcast. There is truth in the idea that God can heal us through prayer and offering our suffering to him and asking for deliverance from pain and turmoil in our lives. And there is also truth to the idea that we should be willing to reach out for help from mental health professionals when we're facing those same issues. One has to go hand in hand with the other. The first thing that comes to mind when talking about this topic is this quote from St. Paul, Therefore, that I might not become too elated, a thorn in the flesh was given to me, an angel of Satan, to beat me, to keep me from being too elated. Three times I begged the Lord about this, that it might leave me. But he said to me, My grace is sufficient for you, for power is made perfect in weakness. I will rather boast most gladly of my weakness in order that the power of Christ may dwell with me. Therefore, I am content with my weakness, insults, hardships, persecutions, and constraints for the sake of Christ. For when I am weak, then I am strong. I bring this quote up not to say that we should just roll over and allow our suffering and anguish to overcome us because when we're weak, we're strong, but rather to point out that St. Paul asked Jesus to remove an affliction from him three times, and Jesus did not remove it from him. When I combine this with my own personal experience of asking for something in prayer and not seeing God answer my prayer, I realize that seeking healing only through deliverance and prayer cannot possibly be the answer. Next, I look to the fact that our faith is an incarnational faith. God acts through human beings to bring us healing and peace and comfort, starting with himself becoming a human being, then priests to help us with our spiritual journey and the sacraments, then parents, friends, family members, doctors, mental health professionals, the list goes on on and on and on. And as Catholics, we have to remember that God uses human beings to accomplish his goals, to dispense his grace, to help his loved ones. So we need to take a step back and realize when we pray for healing from mental health experiences, God may be trying to answer those prayers, not by some sort of miraculous and automatic healing, but by bringing people into our lives, both friends and family and medical and mental health professionals through therapy, through medication to help mediate that healing to us through them. When it comes to mental health as Catholics, we need to remember not to over-spiritualize our situation, but at the same time, remember the importance of casting our worries on God and asking for his help. It can be hard at times to find this balance, but I think it's the healthiest way for us to move toward wellness and recovery, and I would be weary of any Catholic who suggests that we should only approach wellness and recovery through prayer, just like I would be weary of any Catholic who might suggest prayer has no place in our journey to wellness and recovery. All right, everyone, that's it for today's episode. Remember, you can email, DM, or tweet your questions and situations if you'd like me to address them in a future episode. I'd be happy to keep you anonymous or not, whatever you want. Be sure to check out patreon.com slash grexley to see all the great things they've got going on over there and support the cause. You can also head over to Ave Maria's website to pre-order the St. Diphna's Playbook book that's due out in November. Until next time, go easy on yourselves. Take care of yourselves. And if you feel like you're in a place where you can't even bring yourself to pray, don't worry. I'll be praying for you. And so will St. Dymphna.